a father was walking by his son's bedroom one day and saw something that he didn't see very often. He looked into the room and his son's bed was made up and the room was nice and tidy. Then he saw an envelope that was propped up against the pillow, simply addressed, Dad. With the worst premonition, he opened the envelope and began to read the letter with trembling hands. Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I've been finding real passion with Joan, and she is so nice. But I knew you would not approve of her because of all her piercings, tattoos, tight motorcycle clothes, and the fact that she is so much older than I am. It's not just her passion, Dad. She really gets me. Joan says that we're going to be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood, just enough for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many children together. Please don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. I'm sure we'll be back to visit someday so you can get to know your many grandchildren, your son, Chad. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house. I just want to remind you that there are worse things in life than the report card that's in my desk drawer. I love you. Call me when it's safe for me to come home. Now, there's a smart kid. Regardless of what the report card was, that's a creative kid, a smart kid. You know, today we're continuing our sermon series, Relationship 101. And what we're doing is we're looking at some of the different relationships that we have in our lives and then looking at specific scriptures that deal with it. These are not fully comprehensive, of course, but we're looking at the different relationships we have in, in scripture together. And so we began by looking at the relationship we have with each other in the church, with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we also have then <laughs> looked at the relationships we have with our neighbors, with the people and world around us. Last week, we looked at the relationship we have with our spouses in marriage. And today, as you can guess, we're looking at the relationship we have parent to child. Now, I want to say from the outset that I feel a little bit unqualified to speak this message this morning. Um, I'm certainly not a perfect parent. I don't have it all figured out. There have been times when I've blown it. And there are days when I feel like a failure as a dad. I have to say, though, that there have also been times when God has been gracious and I've got it right once in a while. And I've been humbled that God has given me three great kids and a, and a wonderful partner and wife and Nancy, who's a fantastic mother. Now, the parent-child relationship is a wonderful relationship. It's like a roller coaster ride. There can be times of great joy and you're bursting with pride and excitement. And there will be times when it kind of bottoms out and, there, and there's frustration and pain and hurt on both sides. But it's paramount for us to remember on this ride that we call parenting and childing, or child, not childing, parents and child relationship, to keep in mind that what's important is to maintain the proper perspective, and that's God's perspective. You know, a lot of parents today are at their wit's end. And parents just don't know what to do. They don't know, they don't have the kind of relationship they want with their kids. Uh, their kids are developing habits or, pat or patterns that concern them. But on the other hand, a lot of kids, a lot of teens and sons and daughters are frustrated with their parents. Their parents give them a little too much attention. They over kind of overprotect or smother them. And, or maybe on the other hand, they don't give them enough attention. Sometimes there aren't clear enough boundaries and parents aren't consistent in what they say and do. And kids can then tend to become disillusioned or angry or bitter or begin to withdraw, <laughs> withdraw. 
And you might be sitting here thinking, well, surprise, there's kids and parents have always struggled with each other, which is true. And there's a reason the passage we read that Kennedy read Ephesians chapter six, which is the one we're going to focus in primarily. That is in the Bible. I mean, the Apostle Paul wrote this to believers in the church in Ephesus in the first century A.D. So even back then, people needed direction about how to live together as a family. And so today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four, and try to draw out some principles, some things that we can do as parents primarily, but also a few words for kids and teens that can bring out the best in each other and relate in a way that honors God. So before we dig into God's <laughs> counsel to parents and children, we need to we need to refer back to the beginning of this section of Ephesians. We began with verses one through four of chapter six. But before this, in chapter five, there are a couple of things that we need to put in place and remember if we want to see these relationships grow and flourish. The first is found in verse 18, where it says, be filled with the spirit. And there's a lot of things we can do as parents. We can take seminars. We can you know, we can read books. We can listen to speeches or sermons or whatever. Uh, but if we at some point, if we don't rely upon God and his power and his spirit, we're going to fail. We're going to struggle. So the first thing is we are to rely upon God's spirit to be filled with spirit. And then secondly, in verse 29, excuse me, 21 of chapter five, there's this interesting phrase. Paul says, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Now, when Paul writes this phrase, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, the Ephesians, the original hearers would have been saying, well, what does this look like? What does it mean to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ? God's word is practical. It's relevant. And so Paul then takes three examples from everyday life, three primary relationships that most of us are all going to have. And he says, this is what it looks like to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. In verses 21 through 33 of chapter five, Paul says, this is what it looks like in marriage. In verses six, <laughs> excuse me, one through four, chapter six, he says, this is what it looks like in the parent child relationship. And then in verses five through nine in chapter six, he says, this is what it looks like. And he uses the phrase slave and master, which was the primary workplace relationship. So for us to be, this is what it looks like in the workplace and the relationships there. Now, before we zero in on verses one through four, let's establish what the word submit means. OK, uh, it has negative connotations in our world today to us. Submit means you knuckle under somebody, you give in, you cave in. Somebody who is bigger or stronger or more powerful, more assertive, more pushy gets their way. It equates in our minds to being a doormat, of being too soft. We make our opponents submit, right? But the word submit has a much different connotation back in Paul's day. The Greek word for submit was the same word that is used in the Bible for what Christ did for us. And Christ was far from a doormat. He was not somebody who knuckled under, who caved into pressure. So what does submit mean? It means to serve. It means to put somebody else's needs before your own, which is certainly what Jesus Christ did for us. The Bible tells us he lived in perfect obedience to his father, God the Father doing his will so that through his life, death and resurrection, we can be saved. So the word submit in the scripture is not a negative word. It's not a bad word. 
So what does this look like as parents and children if we submit to each other out of reverence for Christ? How do we bring out the best in each other? How do we serve each other? How do we help us, each other to grow in Christ-likeness? Well, first, let's see what parents can do. If we want to honor God with our parenting and help our kids grow, the first thing is we must accept their God-given uniqueness. Proverbs 22.6 is a verse that's used often with regard to parenting. It says, <coughs> Train up a child in the way that he or she should go. Even when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. Now, in the Hebrew, the phrase literally says, in the way that he should go, or she should go the way, according to his own way. In other words, train up your, cu- your kid in, the, in, the, in the, using their abilities, their strengths, their weaknesses, their, their personality. Help them to find that path, the God-given path that has for them uniquely. He has for them uniquely and help them walk in that way. So whether they're an athlete or musician or an artist or a scholar or whatever it is, help them discover that and walk in that way. Same is true for their personality. You know, some kids come out of the womb and they're pretty easygoing and laid back, get along with everybody. Other kids come out and they're arguing, right, from the moment they get out of the womb almost. It's just how God creates different personalities and different people. And so we are to discover how they're uniquely made and help them to grow into God's potential for each one of them. We're not to force them into a predetermined mold. We are to treat them uniquely. Secondly, if we want to honor God with our relationships as parents and help our kids grow, we must affirm their God-given value. You know, everybody I know at some level needs affirmation, right? We all want to know that we're valuable, that we're important, that we're doing a good job. Our Heavenly Father is a perfect illustration of a parent who affirms his children. Throughout his word, he consistently reminds us of our value in his eyes, in his sight. For example, Jesus explains our value in Matthew 10, verses 29 through 31. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Okay? In Hosea chapter 11, verse 4, God says this, I drew them, talking about his children, I drew them to me with affection and love. I picked them up and held them to my cheek. What a powerful, intimate picture of God's love for his people. And then Isaiah 43, 4, God says, You are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Now, I don't know what kind of family you might have grown up in, Maybe you didn't get the kind of affirmation you wanted from your parents. Maybe you didn't get what you needed from them. But as parents now, we are to, we are to affirm our God, the God-given value in each of our children. They desperately need that to become the people that God has created them to be. Thirdly, if we want to honor God with our, as a parent and help our children to grow, we must trust them with responsibility. Jesus says this is the way that we grow. Luke 16.10 says, Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with a lot. People respond to responsibility. I mean, look at how Jesus established his mission in the church on earth. He begins with 12 ordinary men he selects. One of them flakes out, Judas. He spends three years with them, and he gives them increasingly greater and greater responsibility along the way. 
And finally, before he leaves earth to go back to heaven, he says, I'm going back to heaven, going back to the Father, and I'm leaving the future salvation of the world in your hands. I'm leaving my mission and my good news in your hands. That's responsibility. And obviously it worked pretty well because otherwise we wouldn't be followers of Jesus Christ today. And there are two billion Christians in the world because those 11 men and other men and women in the early church took up responsibility, accepted that responsibility, and they grew. You know, one of our biggest obstacles to doing this with our kids is our desire to protect them, right? But in the process, we can hinder them. We can hurt them. We want to protect them from making mistakes and the feelings that are associated with failure. But all that does is prevent them from learning some very valuable lessons, like failure is a part of life, like failure doesn't, isn't fatal, and like failure does not have to define you. You can continue to move forward and grow and be productive in life. When we, when we overprotect our kids, really we're telling them that we don't trust them and don't believe that they're competent enough to function in life. Instead, we are to trust them wisely and help prepare them for life in the process. Fourthly, if we want to honor God as parents and help our children to grow, we must correct them without condemnation. Now, we all need correction at times. We all, again, are sinners. We all fall short. We all make mistakes. The Bible tells us that God corrects us because he loves us. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, says this about the parent-child relationship. If you refuse to discipline your child, it proves you don't love them. But how do you do that without condemning them? Well, first, we are not to correct in anger, which is not easy to do sometimes. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the instruction and training of the Lord. Another translation says it this way. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with loving discipline, with suggestions and godly advice. Disciplining someone in anger might change the behavior in a moment, but in the end, it's going to create resentment and a distance between you and your child. Also, when correcting, watch your words. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't use harmful words. Use only helpful words, the kind that should build up. Harmful words can create hurtful memories. Put-downs might motivate somebody in the short term, but again, they're simply going to plant seeds of rebellion in your child's life. Fifthly and finally, if we want to honor God as parents and help our kids to grow, we must love them unconditionally. And we can do this in a couple of different ways. As a parent, there are times you're going to be hurt by your child. But instead of offering judgment, we are to offer them forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and loving to each other, forgiving each other just as God forgave you in Christ. In other words, we are to forgive our children because we've been forgiven by our Heavenly Father. Again, you'll be hurt as a parent, but regardless, we're to keep on loving them. Also, never give up on your kids. Love always believes the best. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13.7, Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Real love does not give up on people. 
even when the same children you tuck into bed, walk to school, and get into bad relationships and bad patterns, love does not give up. Our children need to know that our love cannot be earned, and they also know, need to know that our love that will not be lost. Now, no parent does all five of these actions well all the time. I know that I have not. But the Bible challenges us, if we want to be effective biblical parents, if we want to honor God as parents with our relationships with our kids, that we are to, with God's help and power, with the power of his spirit, through his word and prayer, we are to seek and strive to do these things consistently because God demonstrates all five of them toward us. Now, like the attention of the kids and teens for just a second, you guys have the kind of relationships that you want with your parents. You have the kind of relationships with your parents that honor God, that benefits them, that brings out the best in them. One of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and your mother. The passage you read just a second ago, it says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. A biblical truth is that you cannot be in a rebellion against your parents and be right with God. You are to respect your parents and their authority because when you do, it shows that you respect God and their authority. And that applies for us as adults with our adult parents as well. We may sometimes not like what our parents ask us to do. We may not like how they treat us sometimes. But there's something simple we can do for them. We can pray for them, right? We can pray that they will have wisdom, pray that they'll have patience, pray that they will make right choices, pray for the well-being, pray for our relationship with them. Back to parents. If we want to honor God with our parents, in summary, we must accept their God-given uniqueness. We must affirm their God-given value. We must trust them with responsibility wisely. We must correct them lovingly without condemnation. And we are to love them unconditionally, just as God does us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are our perfect parent, that you are our father, that you love us, that you forgive us, that you correct us without condemnation, that you affirm our value and our uniqueness, <coughs> that you love us unconditionally. Father, I pray that our families would be marked by those same qualities, that parents would love their children and honor them and, and help them to grow and develop, and that children would honor and respect their parents and, and help them to grow and develop. We pray, Lord, that you just bless our families this day. In Jesus' name. Amen.